0: The following audio is from the King's Chapel in Clifton, Virginia. For more information about our church or to listen to more sermons from this series, you can visit us online at thekingschapel.org. You know, as the children are going out, uh, prior to the passage we're going to be looking at this morning is is a, a place that Mark dealt with some weeks ago about the love of God for children and and you're his children, and for them. Listen, listen to what it says in uh, Mark 10, uh, 13 through 15, something. Uh, 13 through 15. And they were bringing children to him, to Jesus, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And in the simplicity of that, he say, it's so simple to come to him in a childlike way, in a believing way. Maybe there's someone here this morning that doesn't know Jesus Christ. Where, well, I'm going to make it my application to push aside any hindrances uh, that stand between you and him. I love you. Uh, that's, that, that was my prophetic note to self this morning as I came in here and saw you. And I'm very proud of all of you. I'm proud to uh, uh, work here and labor in this particular vineyard. And uh, Jesus goes on to say, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, that, that place, that internal sense, that, that whole uh, ambiance, that whole perfume of the very life of Christ, like a child, shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. It takes a childlike faith to trust the Lord with life. We're going to jump right in now. We're at Mark 10, 17. And what we're going to just be dealing with is hindrances to people coming to Christ. And for most of us, this, this won't apply because it's about material or riches, Put some other word in that place. What is it that keeps you from drawing close to Christ and receiving his power, his kingdom, to become who he wants you to be? And he was setting out, uh, and, and as he was setting out on a journey, the Lord Jesus, after this scene with the children, a man ran up and knelt before him. A man ran out, and knelt before him. The the title of this sermon is The Rich Young Ruler because we know in advance that this guy had a lot of material goods and things. I believe uh, it's very clear in the passage that this was a Jewish boy or man, I see him in my mind as like a Harvard kind of kid. He has the certain look, the nice sweater, the letter thing on it, the the beautiful tasseled uh, shoes, whatever he needed. He was there, and yet he was so excited about what perhaps he had seen, perhaps what he had heard about Jesus, that he comes running, running to him. And not only that, he, he in a sense, a uh, worships him he doesn't even know what he's doing but there is something of what he has seen we don't know what that is we don't know where this guy comes from we do know Jesus has been working miracles everywhere that crowds have gathered that there are ideas that he's walked on water that masses of people have been fed at his hands by a multiplication of loaves and fishes something is going on here and this kid or this young man is zealous to get near it And something in him drives him to his very knees. We see in his behavior. He's not sure what to make of Jesus Christ. But he knows there is something about him that's amazing. You'll remember, a windstorm arose at one point in the disciples' life. And the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. And he was in the stern Jesus asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, "'Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing?' Well, I can assure you, Jesus cares that people are perishing. And he wants to win this kid, but let's go on. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, "'Peace, be still.'" I don't think he had to shout to do it. He could whisper it, and it would stop. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, "'Why are you so afraid?' Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Perhaps that's why the young man kneeled in his presence and asked, them, asked him this question, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That is the central question of all existence. If there is an eternal life to be had, we should want that more than anything and be willing to give anything in order to obtain it. But it is not what we do, as this gentleman said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It is what he loves to do, wants to do, for helpless sinners like me. The scripture says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, not do something, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It is simply the application of a heart filled with faith. Faith is forsaking all, F-I, F-A, I take him, forsaking all. So the answer to the question will be uh, revealing, I, I think, And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? Well, that's an interesting question, and just to deal with it, no one really knows why Jesus says this, but I I think we do. This kid comes up to him, and Jesus begins to speak to him about the fact that he said, good teacher. Why did he say that? Jesus goes on, no one is good except God alone. Our commentators would indicate, and it's in my heart, that here's the status. When he says no one is good except God alone, he is putting his bona fides right in front of this young man if he's willing to listen. Good teacher. The only good and perfect person, supernatural being in the universe, is God Almighty And Jesus kind of surreptitiously and secretly is saying, you're talking to your master. He's not actually denying being good. That's not what he's doing at all. He is saying he is the reflection of the great God of heaven and earth. His power, glory, authority, his goodness. You know the commandments, he says to the boy. Do not murder do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And we're, as we listen to this, as we're perhaps disciples there, we're thinking, well, he's going to let, give them a list of do's and don'ts to do in order to get into the kingdom of God. That's not what he's doing. He's rather reflecting man's imperfection, this boy's imperfection. So he says to him, teacher, I have, all these I have done, all these I have kept from my youth. Well... At that point, and I say this in the gentlest way because I know that Jesus loved this boy, that wasn't what he was asking for. He was holding up a mirror to the man and was attempting to show him his imperfections, in a sense, his sins, so that he would reach out for cleansing and renewal and life. The scripture says this, to respond to the young man's assertion that he's kept all these things. By the works of the law shall no man be justified. The law of God does not empower us to do good. It is the straight edge that shows us how crooked we are. I believe that this young man had no concept of the depth of human sin in the best of us and our desperate need for grace. And hence the teacher asserts a question For by works of the law, the apostle Paul says, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And Jesus has brought up the law to point out the flaws in the boy's understanding and life. And the young man thinks he has it all together or at least intellectually thinks that. But there is more. Jesus is going on a deeper dive because do you know he knows everything about you? And this rich young ruler, in a sense, is an idolater. A beloved idolater, but an idolater. Nevertheless, but now the righteousness of God, Paul said, has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all that believe. I am righteous. I can stand as a righteous man. Not based on my performance. But on his grace. And his performance on a tree. For is no distinction. There is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift, as a gift, not performance. Wrong answer, son. Love you, wrong answer, through the redemption that is Jesus is in Jesus Christ. Jesus and Jesus looking at him loved him no question, and said to him, you lack one thing. Now, he's going to go to the big thing, just as as an example. You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Now, this boy is asked a deeply serious question. And Jesus is going to point to grace at the end of the conversation in spite of the boy's false assertions about his own righteousness in a sense. And Jesus loves him. And he comes to him and says, there's this one thing you lack. And we're going to see how important this is. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. He had trusted in his possessions rather than the Lord Jesus Christ. You see it maybe a little bit now. We'll open this lens a little wider. Here is a boy that has every material benefit, and Christ is telling him to give that all up. He has a bank account for him in heaven. He is offering him the greatest job on the planet, the most important thing in the world, the ability to walk with the disciples of Jesus, to become an apostle, to become someone that is servant of all, that one day perhaps they will sit in exalted places. Whether that really matters to them, I don't know. But what I do know is heaven is being opened up before him for his habitation, If he will just obey the Lord, if he will come to understand that the man who is speaking to him has every right to everything he has in his life. He's not trying to take it from him. He doesn't covet what the kid has. He covets the kid and the heart of the kid. And where we're going to go here is these things, these material things that this guy loved too much were the thing that could possibly kill him and destroy his life and take away his health and bring up many travesties, many awful events in his life. He had trusted in his positions, possessions, rather than the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. All you have to do is say yes to Jesus. Yes, you died on the cross for my sake. You, you paid the price for all my sins. I am cleansed by your blood. That's all. That is entering into the kingdom of God. It is receiving the free gift of his grace, but it is not us working on it by our own strength and by our own righteousness and reaching into our back pocket and ha- ha- handing out a wallet. No, that's not it. For this boy, endless futility was ahead. The cares of the world and the delight in riches. We're going to squelch and destroy what was really important in this boy's life. It would choke the word of God and it becomes unfruitful. And the disciples were amazed by his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. You see, the Jewish people tended to equate material success, monetary success, as an indication of the blessing of God. Of course, they would look at the kings in the Old Testament. If they behaved themselves, if they did the right thing, God's blessing was on them, the kingdoms would rise. But I must tell you that what drove even that impulse was simple faith in God, that he heard them, that he helped them. Somehow, this kid believed that his riches were All that really mattered, mattered more than entering into eternal life. Easier for the rich to go through the, uh, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, an impossibility physically than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and and said to him, then who can be saved? Because they didn't really understand the central part of the gospel yet. This was a stunning admission. You see, God-fearing people of this time equated being rich. But that isn't what the gospel is. The gospel is much better than that. It is not man's riches given to buy themselves back. It is God's riches being poured out on them. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible. This boy is in trouble in that essence. He loves his goods more than he loves goodness, kindness, love, and grace. With man is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. I believe that he had an enormous hope that this guy would come to his senses at some point and see the emptiness of his life. I was wanting to get a book from my shelf for you guys or (laughs) from my house um, and, and read you a story and I'll use every few years on this point, and I didn't know where to go. I have 800 or 1,000 books. That doesn't mean anything, because I probably read who knows how many of them, three or four. Not, not true, but I, I looked everywhere for the book. It's called None of These Diseases, and it's written by S.I. McMillan, a psychiatrist, looking at at the position of man, and how to help, how the Bible helps man. We have some new versions of it out here, not nearly as good as the old one from, say, 50 or 60 years ago. And I couldn't find the book, and it has one of my uh, favorite stories on this this matter, on materialism, keeping people from the kingdom of God. And so I looked everywhere, and I just stopped. I couldn't keep looking. It was taking 800 to 1,000 books. I didn't know what to do. So I just looked down, I said to the Lord, Lord, I'm not going to search anymore. If you want me to talk to the people from this particular story, please just lead me to the book. I looked down, you can imagine, I looked down, right two rows down, right in front of me, as that moment I looked down was the book out of 800 or 1,000 volumes in the room. There's a reason it was there. It is because this message is for You and me. With man, salvation, eternal life is impossible. But God can take anyone. For God, all things are possible. Peter began to say, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, life everlasting. Is that not true? When I walked into this room this morning, I saw hundreds of brothers and sisters He has been faithful to me. He's been faithful to my family to have us go to small groups and houses and have a gathering cloud of people that have befriended us and have been for real, have become part of our family. Is this not a statement that you can put in the back? Does not your life abound with houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands if you're a Christian? It certainly is true. But many who are first will be last, Jesus says, and the last first. You know, there was a man who had such a love of money that he um, went to a god, a Dionysus, and asked him if he would give him a power to touch anything and it would turn to gold. His name's Midas, you've heard of him. And, and uh, the, the, God, uh, the Greek God gives him uh, what he wants, uh, seems like a great gift. And so he goes out and, and has this uh, gift, uh, whatever he touches turns to gold and he goes to get his dinner and sure enough he touches it and it becomes gold and he can't eat it. And then he gets a drink, right, and he tries to drink that and it's... Solid gold, and he can't drink it. And then the worst thing happens, doesn't it? His little daughter comes out to him. And he touches her, and she turns into solid gold. It looks very nice, but he's just destroyed his own child. Now, thank God in this story, which is kind of a parable that God puts into cultures to point to Christ ultimately. He goes to Dionysus and says, basically, please forgive me. Take this gift away from me. And the gift is rescinded and things are okay but the bottom line was gold didn't do anything but hurt him I've read numerous stories about the incredibly rich in preparation for these kinds of sermons and always it ends up the same in first Timothy uh, six six through ten it says this but godliness with contentment is great gain For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. You can't take it with you, not really. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people. Think of this boy. Plunge this boy into ruin and destruction. Jesus sees the end of this boy's life if he doesn't repent and turn from the beginning. I believe he's coming back. That's just what I say by faith. These things become a temptation and a snare for the rich and it drives them into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. What are we to do with wealth? Should we have done like this boy, turn away to follow wealth rather than to follow the Lord? Substitute whatever material thing, substitute whatever hobby. Uh, What should we do with desire, passion, the wrong kind of passion, the wrong kind of desire? Do we just keep it, cling to it, hold on to it as it is used as an anchor to drag our souls into the depth of the sea? or to touch our child with a gold that will not do anything but destroy her as we give our lives over to our addictions and then we see them fomenting and growing out of our own children? No. There's something much better. I remember one wonderful woman who gave everything she had, it seemed, much to every kind of healthy endeavor. She was a godly Christian. She changed the world through letting go and letting God. It was her self-abdication and generosity that made the angels sing. There's a guy named John D. Rockefeller. You, You may have heard of him. John D. Rockefeller was the richest man on the planet. The richest. No one had the money he had as a young man. He was a strong and husky farm lad. He was out of a Christian home, a Baptist home. But something about the boy was like this rich young ruler. He loved money. He couldn't let it go. It was more important to him than anything, and he was driven like a slave by the, 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 the whip of this taskmaster. He gave every moment of his life to his work, and at 43 years of old, he was uh, in control of the largest business in the world. I think it's Standard Oil. When he was 53, he was the richest man on earth and the world's only billionaire. This is obviously many years ago. For this achievement, he'd given away everything. Happiness, health, solid relationships. He developed something called alopecia. You've heard of this. It's where a man or woman lose loses every hair on their body, every one. His eyebrows disappeared, his eyelashes, the hair on the top of his head. One of his biographers said that he looked like a mummy. His income was a million dollars a week, but his digestion was so bad that he could eat only crackers and milk. When you say million there, that might be in today's terms a whole lot more. I'll repeat that. Like Scrooge, John... D, we'll call him John D, was as solitary as an oyster. He said that he wanted to be loved, but he didn't understand that you reap what you sow. And in his life, he did not give out of a heart wanting to love people. Rather, he was a stern and brutal taskmaster. He lacked consideration for others. And so the oil fields where he worked, where his people worked, he was so hated that the people that he had pauperized, he had made them poor by amassing his own wealth, hung him in effigy. He had bodyguards day and night. The massive wealth he had made gave him neither peace nor happiness. He could not sleep. He enjoyed nothing. At 53, one commentator said, she uh, he said he, she said he was an, had an awful age in his face. He was the oldest man I have ever seen. The crackers and milk he glumly swallowed could no longer hold together his skinny body. Obituaries were being made for him by newspapers, everyone knowing that this man surely was on the verge of death. And then he began to do some private thinking in the long nights and the long sleepless nights. And I believe the Holy Spirit spoke to him, whispered to him, to tell him this, you, not, you cannot take one dime of what you've earned into eternity. You have wasted your life amassing this fortune and you have done nothing good for anyone. What are you going to do with the gifts that I have given you? He was in despair and helpless, but for the first time, In his life, he decided, like Ebenezer Scrooge, he was going to give it all away. He was going to give it all away as wisely and as rapidly as he could. He established the Rockefeller Foundation. It would require a book to show how much this guy gave away. In hospitals, missions work, millions of underprivileged people helped. He was able to rid the South of the worst thing they had to deal with, which was a savage uh, infestation called uh, um, uh, hookworm. Uh, every time we have penicillin or an injection, you can partially thank him for what he did in pouring his contributions into the discovery of that miracle drug. His, his work uh, got rid of um, malaria tuberculosis, diphtheria, and many other diseases. It was amazing what he did as he stepped into the kingdom of God, out of the kingdom of self. This not-so-young ruler accepted the, the grace of God and the gracious gift of eternal life. He was reminded of that, and his whole life changed. Refreshing streams of love and gratitude from those he had been helping began to him, coming to him. People saw him in a different light. It is more blessed, Jesus said, to give than to receive. And as he gave, he received that which he really wanted, love, good measure, and running over. And as to his death, he lived to be 98 years of age. What is the fruit of his life? hospitals, churches, asylums for the mentally ill, all kinds of things for the betterment of man. And he saw that he should no longer be snobbish in his thinking, not be set in his own opinions, but listen to other people. His psychiatry, Dr. McMillan says, shows me the great importance of thinking outwardly towards other people, but only Christ provides sufficient motivation He also provides the power for whoever will save his life will lose it. And whoever will lose his life for my sake and the gospel will find it for my sake, for my sake. That's where the power and the glory come from. That's what the young man was missing. He was about to lose everything and if he had continued, if he did continue on his path of loving wealth so much that he forgot about loving people, he's undone by it. Many pangs come upon us when we don't give away the precious deposit of the life of Christ that wants to come into us and must come into us in order to inherit eternal life. For whoever will save his life, like the rich young ruler, shall lose it. And whoever shall lose his life for my sake will find it. For my sake There is the power. There is the motivation. There is the only thing that can save us. The life of Jesus Christ coming into us and reconforming us into his image. Stepping away from selfishness. Stepping away from evil actions because of a power that carries us along in its current and washes us and makes us filled with the very glory of God that the world may know that God has sent his son. Let's bow our heads to pray. Oh Lord, we would not be like the rich young ruler who walked away clinging to a cross of gold, to yes, the Midas touch, but what it did was wrought destruction in his life unless he repented. I hope and pray that he did repent. Let us in this moment say this activity This thing I'm doing, this love of money, this fear uh, brought about by a lack of faith, Uh, Lord, rebuke it, reprove it, drive it from me, and let me give, and it shall be given to me, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men press into my central being. Lord, I, I refuse fear. I cling to your cross and your life. Glorify your name through me. I trust not in my own righteousness, not in my ability to do the beautiful law of God, but in your grace and mercy. And my expectation is glory and heaven awaiting me one fine day.